I think there's been um, a shift in political acceptance of the issue as well. I think, you know, it was it was a much steeper mountain to climb a long time ago. Welcome to the Bailiwick Express podcast. My name is Matthew Leach. I'll be joined each week by a guest for a series of podcasts. Each will shine a light on topics from across the Bailiwick. The format will change week to week. We'll have debates, reviews, hot seat interviews and special guests. So stick with us as we offer some insight on some of the most important issues we in the Bailiwick face. The 26th annual UN Summit on Climate Change, COP26, has come and gone, with Guernsey represented as one of hundreds of jurisdictions looking to make serious inroads in tackling climate change. We were represented at the event by two deputies, one of which was the President of Environment and Infrastructure and self-proclaimed environmentalist, Deputy Lindsay de Somre. She sat down with me to talk about the event, what she learned and how she advocated for Guernsey as a big hitter on a global scale. We also talked climate policy, what Guernsey is doing right and wrong and why she remains so passionate about leading us to a sustainable future. Usually I try and keep these to about 20 minutes but I've spoken to you before and you're clearly somebody very passionate on everything uh, environmental and, and, and green and trying to help us all head the right way. Um, I mean I just want to talk about you first. Where was your interest in all conservation and looking after the environment and, and transport? I mean where did it all come from? Um, I think the first time I really got particularly interested in it was around 20... Uh, yeah, actually, slightly more than 20 years ago. Um, I, After university, I ran away to Australia, and I lived there for a few years. And one of the things I got involved with work-wise was uh, uh, an environmental charity. And that was really the first time I came face-to-face with any of the science. And I remember thinking I was amazed that more people weren't really concerned, given what the science was telling us even then. Um, and so I started sort of doing a bit more research, and I was also a freelance writer, so I started specialising in environmentalism. And, uh, yeah, that sort of kept me up to speed with what was going on in, in the world of science, but also brought me face-to-face with quite what a big gap there was between what the scientists were saying and what the politicians were saying. And so I've had a, a really particular interest for quite a long time, um, and I suppose it was specifically quite a few environmental issues that, that brought me into contact with local politics as well after I moved back to Guernsey, oh gosh, really quite a long time ago now. Um, so, so yeah, I suppose uh, it's, it's one of the reasons why I'm here and, and doing this job in the first day. So bringing your voice as a politician then forward, I mean, in your career so far, are there any anything, any changes, any policies, any anything that you've been involved with that you're particularly proud of or that you're uh, that you're happy that you've been involved with oh um so much i mean i think as a, as an island we we don't always shout about what we do well i mean i remember as a member of the community i was really involved in um in the waste strategy and, and you know people will remember that went on a really long and sometimes torturous journey and we went off in completely the opposite direction for a while 
Um, and so I was really involved with lots of other members of the community uh, and, you know, took part in consultations and learned an awful lot about it. And I think actually, although it took a long time and it wasn't always easy going, we got to a place. Um, that was really good. And we've now ended up with one of, uh, you know, really good waste strategy, which is held up as an example of best practice internationally. Uh, and I think that's something that Guernsey and Guernsey people can be really proud of. Absolutely. And so you, you've now got the opportunity to, to represent the island at events like COP26. I mean, is this the first kind of event of its kind that you've been to? Uh, yes, it, it certainly was the first COP I've been to, and it was certainly the first um, event of that scale with that kind of focus, and it was amazing. And I have to say that, um, actually, uh, you know, I talked quite a lot about Guernsey's climate change policy, and people were really interested in it and really impressed, because it's a little bit different from um, perhaps standard climate change policies, which focus on mitigation and adaptation, because it also incorporates a few other key elements as well. So we've got our role as a green and sustainable finance centre at the heart of our our climate change policy. And we've also got our overseas aid and development programme also playing an integral role. And um, we've also got our strategy for nature, which is sort of encapsulated in our climate change policy too. And those aspects were, you know, really impressive. People thought when I was explaining what our, our climate change policy was all about, they thought it was very um, a very holistic approach and actually very outward facing as well. So not just looking to what we can do within our 24, 25 square miles, but, you know, what kind of impact we can have on the global transition as well. And so were you involved in a lot of conversations while you're over there? Uh, who who were you who were you meeting? Oh well, uh, I met um plenty of political people, particularly political counterparts, so people uh in political roles with similar responsibilities to me, um some of whom I knew already and some of whom I met for the first time, but actually also a lot of subject matter experts and and people who are uh, you know, leading lights in their particular field. So I did have quite a surreal moment where uh, I, I found myself sitting at the same table um, for lunch, uh, just four, four of us, four or five of us, and two of those people were uh, Nick Stern and Pastor de Scripture, and I'll probably get their titles wrong, but I think it's Professor Lord Stern and Professor Sir de Scripture. You know, they're, they're two of the sort of uh, leading economists in, in, in the country and, you know, internationally recognised for their contribution to economics. And um, there was this old me from this old Gansey <laughs> having lunch with them. So that was that was quite surreal. But yeah, uh, I didn't miss any opportunity actually to to talk with people about Guernsey, um, and, you know, obviously to tell them a bit about what we're doing and what we can potentially offer in some of this. But but also, um, you know, for to to learn a lot from them um, and. I think it's made uh, some really, some of those introductions have been really useful and I'm hoping we might be able to build on some of those connections now uh, and work with some of these people going forward. You mentioned um, learning there because this sounds like you met met some very interesting people. I mean, what have you taken away from the event? What did you learn? What what have you, uh, what will you bring back to Guernsey? Oh, I just, I mean, gosh, I think we would probably need uh, several days worth of our content if I were to try to try to sort of give you a, a blow-by-blow account of the different things I've learned. But um, so much. I mean, 
first of all, there's there's content. You know, there's there's some of the science. You know, I I was um, listening into to various scientists talking about the actual situation, and that gave me a far better understanding. I'm obviously not an expert. I'm not a scientist myself. Uh, but that kind of um, those kinds of presentations gave me uh, some, you know, better insights into the situation that we are facing now. So, for example, what happens uh, to ice sheets and stuff given different uh, emissions profiles and uh, and things like that. Um, but also, there were experts in all sorts of different areas. So, uh, for example, there were experts in various aspects of nature and biodiversity. There were as and so obviously ecosystems and habitats and you know marine and terrestrial. Um, there were also experts in, in uh, the built environment and in transport and all sorts of these uh, you know discrete areas. Uh, so there were an awful lot of sort of presentations and, and panel discussions and side events where this information was being discussed, and it was an incredible opportunity to be able to get to as many of those as I possibly could. So I mapped out. Um, as far as possible, all the ones that I thought would be most relevant to, to Guernsey and got to as many of them as I possibly could. Uh, and it, it was really fascinating. And of course, I mean, one of the main headlines that we saw in the news over here from it was the Paris Agreement. Uh, for, I mean, for people who don't know and, and hear the Paris Agreement, what does it actually mean? What does the extension of it actually mean for us here in Guernsey? What, what, are we doing anything differently? Do we need to be aware of more things? How does it work? Well, what it means is we are recognised in our own right and not just as a sort of bit of the UK. Uh, So, you know, uh, our emissions, our reductions will count for something in its own right. I think it's got various levels of significance. I mean, the Paris Agreement, um, the extension of the Paris Agreement really is a milestone for us. It gives us that, it it signals, first of all, that we are serious. You know, we we do position ourselves as a green and sustainable finance centre. That's uh, an area of growing opportunity uh, for us and for our economy. And the extension of the Paris Agreement in our own right really does a lot to underpin and strengthen that proposition because we are able to identify, uh, you know, our own contribution to this very coordinated global effort. Um, So I I think that is really important. And the Paris Agreement itself has got various sort of mechanisms within it that allows you to escalate ambition, you know, to, to keep improving. And I think that's a really useful framework as well. So I think it's a, a really positive development. I'm really excited about it. The event itself, obviously, I mean, for us, for, for many uh, media organisations, it created a lot of content for, for a couple of weeks and, and people have been talking about sustainability a lot recently. How will that momentum be kept on beyond COP26? Now this event, is, this massive event has ended, um, it, we need to keep it being talked about, I suppose. Yeah, well, I, I think there's just been a real gear shift, actually. If I think back to the previous COP, there wasn't the same kind of wall-to-wall coverage, media coverage, that there has been of this one. And I think it has just really stepped up, not just one level, but quite a few levels in public consciousness. And businesses are beginning to get their heads around what, what the implications are for them. Uh, you know, so, so really it's becoming a lot more tangible as those pathways become clearer, as more policy uh, frameworks are, are set out. I think it's becoming a lot more real uh, and people are just 
so much more aware. So actually, I think the ball is rolling. And certainly from my personal perspective, I've been inundated with people getting in touch saying, um, you know, I've learned so much from COP or I'm, you know, really more determined than ever that we need to do something about this. Can you come and have a chat? Our business is doing this and, you know, we want to explore this. And so that ball is going. I think um, one of the important things from my perspective is I think it's really important that we as a government and specifically us as a committee, E&I, uh, set out what we've achieved so far, what our next steps are, what that longer-term vision is. Because I think there's been a lot of work around it, but when, when we haven't necessarily been terribly good at communicating it, it's, it's quite a tricky thing, really, because it's not a discrete work stream in its own right, a lot of it. It's a real umbrella issue that touches on so many different aspects of state's work. Um, so, you know, it's, it's much easier if you've got one distinct project, it's, it's very easy to say, hey, this is where the project is at, this is where it's going next. But actually something like climate change, which, which you um, implement in lots of different ways across a number of different policy areas, is more difficult to communicate. But I think it's really important that we do. And so, I mean, do you feel, I mean, if you bring it back locally, do you feel the Guernsey community are on board with a move to a more sustainable future? Do you find the message ever difficult to sell sometimes? Or do you feel like people are along for the ride now? I think there's been a huge shift. And actually, we did a, we did a survey of Guernsey people um, as part of the input into our climate change policy. So it wasn't that long ago. It was maybe um, 18 months ago or something like that. And that shows that a very, very significant majority of the public do recognise that this is, this is a problem that we need to deal with. Uh, and so I don't think we're fighting that battle anymore. You know, it's a rare day that I come across someone who, who just doesn't understand that this is a, a, an issue and, and a pressing issue at that. And um, so I think we have come a long way because not so long ago, that was still a battle that needed to be had. But I think public perception in Guernsey and elsewhere has really shifted. I mean, I, I sometimes call it the David Attenborough effect because I think... There was a point maybe five or six years ago where David Attenborough started really highlighting it in some of his programs. And I think that's where it started to really pierce the mainstream consciousness um, in, in a way that it hadn't really before. And obviously there was an accumulation of different factors. But for me, that was the sort of most obvious uh, manifestation of it. Um, and so I, I think the public uh, really are there. I think, um, you know, they everyone does recognise that this is an issue that we need to address. And also, you know, we're an island, so I think that makes it slightly more obvious in a way. But, but more than that, I think... Um, the, the shift that I've seen even more recently is in the business community um, because uh, businesses do realise that in order to be a sustainable business model, for, for the business model itself to be future-proofed, sustainability needs to be a core consideration. Uh, and environmental responsibility is a big part of that. And I think the, the very fact that the IOD convention, which was on the 14th of October, was themed entirely around sustainability, uh, you know, is it, it, a good example of how the business community are really taking this seriously. And again, I think that's helping to, to join all these dots. Uh, so, yeah, I think both within the public and in, within the business community and I hope politically as well, there, there is a broad acceptance that climate change is um, a, a significant issue that does need to be addressed. 
I went to a interesting. I went to the IOD breakfast event recently, where they had two speakers talking about uh, businesses preparing for a more sustainable future, getting clients on board who want to invest sustainably. And the the stark warning kind of was to them: the global temperature rises any higher than what the Paris Agreement sets out, they'll go bankrupt if they're not prepared for these future regulatory changes. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It has it's an existential issue. It really is. I mean, Mark Carney was the one that said uh, quite a few years ago now, he said, you know, if you are not factoring this in, you know, and adapting accordingly, you will go bankrupt. It's as simple as that. From a business perspective, you will go bankrupt. Um, you need to be thinking about this and responding. So, um, you know, and that's, that's in terms, obviously, in terms of uh, reducing reducing their own footprint, but also just recognising the fact that, that global policy frameworks are moving in this direction and things like the price of carbon will have to be factored in. You know, your, your, your environmental footprint does need to be uh, considered very carefully because it will come with increasingly material cost. You made a good point before talking about how it's it's good to focus on certain policies as opposed to tackling it as the massive existential crisis that it is. Um, I mean, one of the topics in Guernsey, of course, is, is cars. Um, I mean, do you believe Guernsey still has a bit of a car culture? Do you think this is something we could we could change? Um, yeah, of course we, of course we do. I mean, if I put it in its context, um, our if you look at our carbon footprint, uh, there are three main contributors in terms of the source of those emissions. Um, one of them is waste. I've talked a little bit about waste already. We're actually in a in a really good place. Um, we've still got legacy emissions that that we need to deal with. There are still plenty more that we can and, and should do. Um, but actually, you know, that is a good example of a, a, a strategy that is starting to pay off in terms of its sustainability. So, so that's uh, that's really good news. We're, we're definitely going in in the right direction with that. Um, energy, we've we got our energy policy through the states last year. That again sets a really clear pathway to decarbonisation. That's in line with international commitments as well and the Paris Agreement. Um, and uh, obviously, we can always um, do better. We, we hope to, to meet those. Um, I think targets are sometimes the wrong word. I would like to say maybe a ceiling or something or a stop, you know, stopgap. Um, you know, a, a target makes it sound like you're aiming for it. Whereas actually, I think, you know, as an island, we're aiming to do it as soon as we can and no later by those dates. Uh, so our energy policy, as I say, is, is also very well aligned uh, to those international targets. Um, and transport is the one area where we haven't really uh, made um, any significant progress. In fact, we're probably going in the wrong direction. But, but you can't just take transport or indeed any, any individual bits of transport out and look at them in isolation. You know, transport isn't an end in its own right. It's, it's very much uh, providing that a service. Um, to get goods and people around the island. So we have to look at it in terms of its function and you have to understand it in terms of housing, in terms of uh, retail, in terms of uh, work. You know, you have to understand transport as its, as its function dictates. I mean, are there any projects you're working on at the moment that are involved with transport? And what other projects are, uh, is your committee working on at the moment in line with these sustainable goals? 
Yeah, I mean, as I say, our climate change work isn't a discrete lump of, you know, it's not a discrete project in its own right. There are lots and lots of uh, different areas that we're, we're working on. And so, for example, housing itself is, um, is a really important area. Uh, it's, a lot of energy is tied up and a lot of our emissions relate to the built environment to buildings and specifically to heating and cooling them quite often. So clearly that's an area that we really, really need to, to focus on. And a lot of this comes down to efficiency as well. So in, in the world of environmental politics, we love hierarchy as their name, which is um, when you see it written on a page or drawn on a page, it's a sort of upside down triangle, triangle balancing on its point. And the top layers are the bits that you really want to focus on because that's where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. And in terms of things like emissions, your top layer of the hierarchy, your top priority is to avoid uh, creating those emissions in the first place. Um, so that's a, that, and, and then your next layer down is if you can't avoid them, what can you do to reduce them? And if you can't reduce them, what can you do to replace uh, for example, inefficient appliances with more efficient appliances or, or um, polluting sources of energy for less polluting, cleaner sources of energy uh, and things like that. So, so you don't want to, you basically want to nip all those problems in the bud. The more you can focus on those high levels of your hierarchy, the more effective you're going to be and the better value for money uh, you're going to get because you're, you're stopping problems from being created in the first place. So it's really good value for money. It's a, it's a really good way to operate. So a lot of the things that we focus on across the board are to do with preventing these problems from arising in the first place. And I wanted to um, tie it up with a question to you as a, as a politician and an environmentalist. I mean, as an environmentalist coming into politics in Guernsey, have you found it easy to enact change within our government? Have you have you been the voice that you wanted to be? Well, I think I think there's been um, a, a shift in political acceptance of the issue as well. I think you know it was it was a much steeper mountain to climb a long time ago. Um, and as I said earlier, I think the same is true of the public um, as it is in the States. I don't think really we have to convince that many people that climate change is an issue and it is something we need to take seriously. And I think that is manifested in, in the fact that climate change is, is threaded through our government work plan. You know, it's, it's a major part of seven of our ten top 10 priorities in the government work plan. Um, so it is something that, that we are dealing with it. I think the battle is really about resource. Um, so we are just quite, we're quite short on people. We're certainly short on expertise as well. We don't, we don't really have any in-house experts in a lot of the, these areas. Um, so that's the real focus for next year is, is making sure that we've got the right mechanisms to access the right kind of information at the right time to help the states, but also hopefully the wider business community and, and the wider community beyond that. Thank you for listening to the Bailiwick Express podcast. The title track was Shift My Weight by Luno. If you enjoyed it, I know it's a pain, but please like and share. It all helps. And remember, you can hit bailiwickexpress.com to stay right up to date with whatever is happening in the Bailiwick. You can find us online, on social, on email, and on internet radio. There'll be more from me, Matthew Leach, and all the Bailiwick Express team next Friday.